If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to my premiere episode and security for all. I am Kim Hakem, your host. So excited and so happy to be here. I'm also the CEO of FutureCon Events, which produces cybersecurity events all over North America. I've been in the cybersecurity industry for over 20 years. And prior to that, I spent six years in the Navy, four years in the reserves. So I've been around for a long time, and that's allowed me to meet and work with some of the top cybersecurity leaders in the world. Today, I have them, two of them joining our kickoff show. So a little bit about our show today. Our show is going to focus on cybersecurity, how it is important to everyone. It is critical to the future of every American. To set us up for my guest today, let me briefly talk about what our show will focus on today. Today's show, we're going to focus on some topics you all have been hearing in the news. Our U.S. government, the lack of cybersecurity that is currently happening, how does that affect everyday Americans, what's going to happen now, what happens when these social media platforms that are banned go offshore to Russia, certain uh, social media platforms. programs like Parler. Uh, we have, we can talk about TikTok, solar winds. Do you guys even know what that means? Why should it concern everyday citizens? We'll break down solar winds and delve into some of the attacks that is at, that it has caused. So again, pardon any uh, stutters. I'm a little nervous. It's my first episode. So thank you all for joining us. So I'm going to introduce uh, my co-host today, He's going to be um, kicking off this session with me. I have Dr. Chase Cunningham. He's a noted as a creator of Zero Trust E-Extended Framework and a cybersecurity ec- expert with decades of operational experience in NSA, U.S. Navy, FBI Cyber, and other government mission groups. Chase is currently the Chief Strategy Officer of Aircom Software, which he is responsible for Aircom's overall strategy and technology alignment. Chase was previously the VP and Principal Analyst at Forrester Research, Director of Threat Intelligence of Armor, Director of Cyber Analytics for Decisive Analytics, and Chief Cryptologist Technician in the U.S. Navy. Go Navy. He's the author of Sinja Series and Cyber Warfare, Truth, Tactics, and Strategies. He also co-hosts on the Something Something Cyber Podcast Series. Welcome to the show, Chase. Thank you very much for having me, Kim. That was a very kind intro. (laughs) Well, Chase has worked with FutureCon events as a consultant, and he premieres as a regular keynote speaker, and he sits on many of our panels at various FutureCon cybersecurity events. So thank you, Chase, so to delving into this new show with me. Yeah, no problem. This is going to be fun. Yeah. And, you know, to start off before we introduce our first guest, can you tell our viewers, like right now, what are some of the biggest concerns with the ongoing cyber attacks we hear in the news? And what prompted you to write your current book, Sinja Series and Cyber Warfare, Truth, Tactics and Strategies? 
Sure. So, I mean, I think personally where we're really at uh, is that uh, the change that we've had to make because of COVID, everyone is remote now. Everyone is outside of what used to be our sort of, you know, perimeter or at least had a relatively secure, hopefully, infrastructure. And we've, we've all been pushed way outside the bounds of that. So now we've gone from a world where you kind of sort of hopefully had managed-ish security to one where now it is reliant on everybody everywhere to be secure in your home with your kids while they're home and more, 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 bigger, 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 faster. And it's, it's becoming increasingly difficult to manage, maintain, and control all that. So if you think about this as the average everyday American, hopefully you've got uh, a firewall and you've got some infrastructure up and running that's keeping you relatively bounded. Um, we could always talk about how to do that, but you, you are in a place where everyone I think needs to understand if there's going to be a compromise within your business infrastructure, it's probably going to come from some of these remote interactions. Uh, it, the, the bad guys move downstream. Um, they look for easy targets. We are all the easy targets, you know, on, and on top of that, uh, you asked about my book. I actually wrote an entire chapter in that book in there about the fact that bad guys are moving downstream and that remote work is a critical component for uh, secure infrastructure. So we're in, a, we're in a very interesting time. Things have been very difficult. Um, and we're in a place too where we need to make sure that we understand we are all responsible for the security of our, our own uh, home, but we're also responsibly, responsible for introducing potential threats into our corporate infrastructure. Well, it's going to be an exciting series. Just this morning, I was driving my 22-year-old daughter to the airport, and we just had a small talk about cybersecurity. And I am excited to talk about some of these things that even my kids in my home don't understand the vulnerabilities when they download something on TikTok or if they download something, you know, if they download the parlor app. So we'll get into all that, but that is really what the show is about to break down some of these um, words that we've been hearing in the news. And speaking of the news, that's the perfect segue to introduce our first guest to and security for all. Today, we have Morgan Wright. Morgan is an internationally recognized expert on cybersecurity strategy, cyber terrorism, and advanced technology. His landmark testimony before Congress on healthcare.gov changed how the government collected personally identifiable information. He has made hundreds of appearances on national news, radio, print, web, and has spoken to audiences around the world. He currently serves as a chief security advisor at Sentinel One, and he's also a Fox News analyst. Welcome, Morgan, to the show. Well, I have to tell you, I am honored uh, and actually doubting your judgment that you had me as your first guest. So let's hope I don't disappoint you. Oh, you won't. He, Morgan as well has keynoted several of our events and people can hear him talk all day. So I have two top-notch guys, experts in this field on the show today. So Morgan, I know you know Dr. Chase Cunningham because you guys have co-hosted a panel um, at one of my events. So, yeah. all well, right. It was old home week too. We were talking, we both have uh, something in common, which is the National Security Agency, National Cryptologic School in Linthicum. We have, I haven't tread the halls as much as Chase did, but uh, I did make a visit. I did make a guest appearance there one time teaching some damage assessment agents how to do interview and interrogation, believe it or not. Not even anything technical, just how to read people, which actually is going to figure in when we start talking about solar winds and some things like that, because there's a lot of behavioral issues in how we approach technology. That's a great point of never play poker with Morgan. 
<laughs> I am terrible at poker, Chase. I'm telling you right now. Play me all day long. I'm terrible. <laughs> well, we have a lot to talk about in a short amount of time. So let's get started and dive in. I want to talk about some things that happened this week. The Washington Post released an article on January 20th. One of the headlines read that Cybersecurity 202 Biden nom nominees entering administration behind a big hack. The United States Director of National Intelligence told members of the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee that she was yet to receive a full classified briefing on the matter of the recent massive government hack. She told the committee that the hack was a major concern and she has a lot more to learn about we, what we know about this. Our new president's first major cybersecurity challenge challenge will be dealing with the fallout and recovery from the Russian hacking com campaign that infiltrated at least eight federal agencies and hundreds of companies and organizations. Major players are major players are new president cybersecurity team heading into a problem largely in the dark could complicate an already tricky issue. That is what was um, in the Washington Post. So let's start with each of you guys and let's talk about what happens now. What should we as Americans be concerned about with our national cybersecurity? And let's start with you, Chase. Well, uh, you know, this, this transition time has uh, been increasingly difficult just because it has been such a crazy transition. I mean, I don't, I didn't think in my lifetime I'd ever see anything like what's happened in the last few months. It's, it's, we're at a different place now. We can do different things. Uh, we can, you know, hopefully approach the problem differently. But what, what I continue to run into here um, that I, I think everyday average, Amer average Americans aren't necessarily aware of is we, we, continue to throw policy at this problem and policy while useful doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to fix the problems technologically what we've seen and this has been through multiple administrations over the course of a number of years is that we write legislation we write documentation we say do these things and it is not until way far down the road that somebody comes up and goes well wait a minute we don't have the technology to actually do what you're saying we need to do. And that that's where we continue to run into a lot of these problems as we've legislated ourselves into a corner. So I, I hope that this new administration is uh, aware of this. I've seen some of the people they're putting on the roster. Seems like they've got a lot of heavy hitters, which is good. But we should be uh, pushing for making sure that we have technologically aligned policy, not just policy for the sake of policy. And Morgan, what would your input be on that? If you want to strike fear into the hearts of the American people, just watch a Senate or a congressional hearing when they were talking to Mark Zuckerberg, you know, and uh, Sanjay, uh, uh, Jack Dorsey, and I, was, I just spaced out the name of the uh, uh, Google CEO. Satya, Satya, Satya Nadella. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, Microsoft. Microsoft, and then, yeah. yeah. Uh, when, when people need, don't even understand how Facebook works about how they make money or understanding that WhatsApp is encrypted end-to-end, -end, there's no way to insert an ad, you know, <laughs> in an encrypted end-to-end. -end. I mean, so exactly what Chase was talking, and one of the issues I had when I testified before Congress is I will tell you, it, it, and I'm being very direct, uh, members of Congress are not the people we want being the problem solvers. They should be accepting the input. Like Chase said, we've got to make sure we've got the right technical input as well as policy input to make sure those things are aligned. The last thing you want is a policy that can't be supported by technology. Mm -hmm. And the last thing you want to do is just deploy a technology and then figure out, well, what should our policy be later? And by the way, Kim, just to let you know how, I, how outdated some of our laws are, 
the original title or, you know, the original wiretap authorization um, is based on a 1928 law when they were actually recording things onto long play record discs. And that was, we have policies that have not kept up with the times because they were written for a specific technology as opposed to a specific outcome you wanted to achieve through the deliberate application of technology. So uh, we've got a long ways to go in order to rectify that. And the first thing is making sure we've got a new group of legislators who are educated about technology and rely upon the right kind of people, the right kind of advisors to give them the right kind of advice so that we end up with the right kind of legislation at the end of the day. So how do you think that's going to happen in such a short term when we just came off of an administration where we had all these attacks? I mean, it feels like we're in a pretty <laughs> scary spot right now. Well, I mean, you know, the, the, the reality of this space is, and this is where I, I talk with my family and people all the time about just, you know, the, the general realities of cyber is that most Americans have this misconception that cyberspace is something that they use to like look at stuff on the internet and send kitty pictures to grandma and whatever. And in reality, what this is, is this is the only space in history where the battlefield has been leveled for everybody everywhere all the time. And you can have a nation like North Korea that they can't even feed their people, go after the global superpower and actually have a, a means to make an impact. And we are all constantly at combat in this space. And the regular user is just transiting this live fire battlefield environment. We need to be aware of that. And people on the average everyday, you know, space need to understand this is not uh, a necessarily inherently friendly environment. You must protect yourself and you must be real about where you're operating. You don't need to be afraid necessarily, but you need to be aware of it and you need to understand that this is a threatened environment. And if you don't protect yourself because we're all connected, you are potentially threatening everybody else that you do uh, business and interact with. Well, Morgan, do you want to? Oh, 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 yes, yes, yes. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, do you remember? I remember I was working at SAIC. My team had just put out a press release about how we were addressing the denial of service attacks. We put out the press release that morning. That afternoon, a 16-year-old from Canada named Mafia Boy took down wide swaths of the internet, mm -hmm. took down Yahoo and eBay and CNN. A 16-year-old was able to do what the Russians were trying to do as well. And to Chase's point, we've this technology now means that states who could, even though North Korea can't feed its people, it's still building nuclear missiles, even mm -hmm. though Iran's, and I grew up in Iran uh, back in you know the days when the Shah was in power, completely different mindset, but they've got these capabilities. Even though they can't match the United States or even China militarily, the technology is a great leveler, as Chase was saying. It means is that if I've got enough people who have a committed outcome that, and I can apply the right kind of resources and logistics to it, I can do, I can cause havoc, I can do damage, I can commit espionage, I can do all sorts of things. And guess what? In cyberspace, there's sea, air, land space. Cyberspace is the fifth domain mm -hmm. of warfare now. And that means is now you can engage in warfare. And guess what? The risks are so much lower. We're not, what, what is the real policy around launching an attack from a cyber attack, right? When do bits and bytes get bombs and bullets? When does a digital attack get a kinetic response? And we're still struggling. That is one of the most significant policy issues we're dealing with. So, and that's not to scare everybody. It is going to get better and it is getting better. We're starting to see uh, things from a national security standpoint improve with decision-making and loosening the rules of engagement in cyberspace. 
But you know what it boils down to is no matter how much technology you have, if it isn't informed by the proper policy and governance in terms of its application, you can have all the missiles in the world you want. But if you don't know what you're going to do with them and how you're going to protect them or how you're going to launch them, they're more dangerous that way than they are if you understand what it is you're doing with them. Amen to that. Well, let's turn to a little bit of a lighter subject, and it might not be that light, but one of the <laughs> words that became very, very, very popular in the last few weeks was Parler, a social media website and app popular with Americans on the far right, which mm -hmm. remains banned from Amazon, Apple, and Google, and just now partially returned online with the help of a Russian-owned technology company. The internet protocol addressed is used and owned by a DDoS guard, which is controlled by two Russian men. This DDoS guard has worked with other racist, righteous conspiracy sites that have been used by mass murderer, murderers to share messages. It's also supported by government sites. So let's start with Morgan. What are your thoughts and concerns that Parler is back online thanks to the Russian tech company? You know, so uh, this is one of those areas where I may disappoint you in my answer because uh, a lot of you, during the intro, you said I, I'm an analyst for Fox and that's true, Fox Business, but I also have done CNN, MSNBC, ABC, um, Yahoo, Forbes, you know. I do ones and zeros, not R's and D's and political stuff. So from a from a technology standpoint, um, you know, how they were able to come back on, they still don't have a mobile app. I tend to, and I, the reason I tend to stay away from political issues, Kim, and I hate to disappoint you, you know, with part of the answer is um, what I found is that um, at the end of the day, when you're dealing with huge constitutional issues in terms of should people have access to platforms, should we do this, should we do that, um, no matter what answer you give, there will be people out there who want to take you to task for it or say this or that. Um, and so, and because I represent certain companies that operate in this space, I tend to be a little bit more agnostic. What I'm more concerned about is our ability to effectively, for example, whether it's Parler, whether it's TikTok, which by the way is owned by ByteDance uh, and Tencent and uh, huge, you know, lots of data flowing through China. I'm taking a look at the threat landscape and go, how does this figure into the threat landscape among other things? And how, how do we, we have lost our ability from a national security standpoint to effectively monitor chatter and information that's flowing, not just on Parler, but on um, uh, Telegram, on Signal on mm -hmm. all of these other platforms too. So I look at the bigger picture to say, how does this fit into the bigger national security issue? And one of the things that's happened, and this will get into solar winds, I'm gonna kind of uh, set up the answer for a little bit later, is we've lost the human side of this. When we lose agents in place, when we don't have people who are doing spying for the United States inside of these countries, you can't do everything technically. You can't do everything from satellites and eavesdropping and, you know, wiretaps and bugs and, uh, you know, fancy tech. At some point, you got to have people in there. And that's what we're missing across the entire spectrum. Uh, I'm concerned about ISIS. I'm concerned about uh, Al-Qaeda. I'm concerned about uh, Al-Shabaab. I'm concerned about the Houthi rebels. At the same time, I'm concerned about terrorism in the United States. So the ability to monitor all of these channels is a continuing law enforcement problem. And that's why it was called Going Dark, the initiative that the FBI started. Uh, as everything goes encrypted, as everything goes uh, over IP, we're losing uh, from a national security standpoint, the ability to monitor. And as we get into quantum communications and the satellites that the Chinese have just launched here just a few months ago, you're now talking about unbreakable encryption. 
Well, and, you know, I want to make it clear that I'm tr- not trying to be political because I our show is very bipartisan. Right. But I the concern is what and I'll, I'll point this over to Chase. If someone has a app like Parler or TikTok on their phone, you know, just the conversation I had with my daughter this morning. I mean, how, how's it going to affect an everyday American if these platforms are being hosted by Russia tech? What concerns should our citizens worry about? Well, you know, I've 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 got uh, neighbors around me that that are on some of these signal, you know, communication apps, and I had the conversation with a few of them when when it came back up. I was like, "Are you aware that that's you know being sort of hosted, and it's not necessarily technically correct, but that's being run, kind of set up in in Russia?" And their response to me was like, "No, that's not that's not it." And I was like, "Well, yeah." Yeah, it is like that's I can show you like, look, this is the IP address and this is how that works. And they were like, well, that's that's not right. This can't be done in Russia. <laughs> and when you took it, you know, I've talked to the same group of people about TikTok and I like like Morgan was saying, it's like that is run, hosted and set up and provided in China. They're like, no, that's it's an American thing. No, it's it's not. It's run by foreign entities that are piping traffic through them and what they do with that traffic for a whole bunch of reasons, technically, politically, you know, government related, et cetera, is up to that entity and where it lies. And you should be, like I said before, you don't have to be afraid, but you should be at least aware of that and make an informed decision about whether or not you're okay with it. I, on the, you know, on the non-political front, I, I do think that what concerned me most about this whole thing with the immediate reaction was, you know, you can, uh, with the imposition of will, which if you look up sort of the definition of warfare, with with the imposition of will, you can remove someone from their ability to speak to an audience. And well, on a personal level, like I'm not okay with ever impacting anyone's basic, you know, human rights. This is a quandary. This is something that continues to be uh, something to concern everyday Americans. When you put all of your stuff online digitally, then you you are putting your stuff in the hands of organizations, companies, etc., that can do things with it, and mm-hmm. you may not like the outcome of that. So. Just I, I don't want to go into our topic of solar winds quite yet until we come back at, after our break. So staying on these social media platforms, I mean, what what could happen? I mean, can you give some examples of if you're not in an industry and you're just in your home, how are you going to be vulnerable to some of these apps that these younger people don't they're not really aware that they're even in a vulnerable situation? Uh, Let me take a quick stab at that, mm -hmm. um, because this is one of the things that concern me, just like Chase was talking about spot on. A lot of people think TikTok is an American, oh, yeah, they've got a U.S. presence. Yeah, but a lot of data still flows through China. You know, the biggest thing is just aware. Look, at the end of the day, this is a free society. You're free to make your own opinions. But as as we tamp down forms of communication, the other thing people forget, too, is there are many times uh, in intelligence operations, and a friend of mine retired a couple years ago as the chief of station in Moscow for the CIA. He was the head spy there for the U.S. You, sometimes you know stuff's going on. The last thing you want to do is alert your adversaries is that you've tapped into their line of communications. Once you lose that, you lose the ability to monitor. There are many times 
for example, the, the, let's, let's just assume that parlor is the worst thing in the world and nobody should be using it. But at the same time, you get to a point, you say, but how much damage have we done on our ability to monitor chatter, to monitor mm-hmm, what's mm-hmm. going on and actually prevent these things from going on? If we, and I'll give you the perfect example to this too, Kim, when um, uh, a, a senator, and I don't want to bag on a politician, but I'm going to anyway, when they came out of a classified briefing and said, oh, we're able to track Osama bin Laden because of his satellite phone, which by the way, was bought by a guy here in Herndon, Virginia and delivered to him. Guess what Osama bin Laden quit using? Quit using satellite phones. When they told him, oh, we were able to analyze the rock formation behind where he was doing the videos. Guess what Osama bin Laden started doing? Putting backdrops behind there so we couldn't understand which part of the country he was in. We give up way too much information and too much control. And I tell you, there is a danger of letting Silicon Valley be control um, major forms of communication without competition. Facebook owns four of the top six platforms in the world. You know, when Southwestern, when uh, uh, Bell Telephone had that, they broke up uh, the Bell into all the baby Bells. So at some point, I foresee, uh, you know, antitrust uh, issues arising between Google, um, uh, Facebook, you know, Amazon, stuff like that. Don't know if it'll happen in the next four years, but I think that's a consideration too. You can create better uh, capabilities and share this better if you spread it out more. But if it's too much is concentrated in one place, to me, that's a danger. Well, that's probably a whole nother show. (laughs) The talk (laughs) of, you know, big tech. Oh, Um, yeah. We've seen a lot of that. But Chase, um, we have about a couple minutes before our break. What what did you want to Well, the one thing that I remind my my kids of and everyone else of uh, is that basically the the most powerful, one of the most powerful things that we have around us is influence and social media. Being social and being media means that you can do influence operations at speed and at scale. And the cost of that is exceptionally low. And I've, with my own children, like there's stuff that they've shown me that they've seen on these different platforms. And I have to stop them and ask them and go, do you think that that's real? Like, do you think that that's actual? And if you don't interrupt that thought process, you, you actually will see kids, family members, whatever, go down a rabbit hole and it becomes this self-fulfilling, uh, you know, self-licking ice cream cone of misery because they just keep saying, well, this must be that because this says that. And then, and then before they know it, they're 85 feet down the rabbit hole. So what we have to be cautious of here too for everyday everybody is when you see stuff, especially social media and these types of uh, platforms, take a second and think for yourself don't just mm-hmm. continue to ingest what's being fed to you. It, we, you know, the beauty of, of the, uh, the American experiment, right, is we're supposed to be able to say what we think and we're supposed to be able to think on our own. If we don't do that, we aren't exercising our rights uh, in, the, in that platform anyway. And we haven't even got into deep fake videos and oh, deep no. fake audios. Perception, Kim, perception is reality. If you believe it's true, then it becomes true as far mm-hmm. as you're concerned. And that's where we get into the distinction between disinformation and misinformation. I could legitimately believe men have landed on Mars and tell that to somebody and that's misinformation, but I intentionally change the messaging, try and create division. That's disinformation. And that's the difference between, you know, just a a good intended mistake versus active measures to influence how you think about things. Well, and those are some of the words that we want our viewers to hear because, you know, we hear this stuff on the news all the time and, you know, 
people probably just pass by it unless you're in our industry. And when we come back, we're um, going to lead into a break in a minute. We, I know both of your hot topics are uh, solar winds. And I know a lot of our viewers have heard solar winds, but what is solar winds? You know, I think it's a great idea when we come back to have you guys break it down and let our viewers, let's talk about some of the affected massive attacks that happened to some of our U.S. government agencies and our, some of our, world's largest cyber security providers that we all know and support. So um, does that sound good with you, Morgan, Chase? Are you guys ready to attack that subject? Yeah. I am ready, comrade. Let's talk solar winds. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, there's so many things. Again, we have uh, these great two experts right here, and um, I'm looking forward to the second half. So we will come back in a few minutes and we will cover a couple things but we will start off with solar winds so thanks guys for the first half of the show become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to And Security for All with Kim Hakem. To reach the show today with your questions or comments for Kim or her guest, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to khakem at futureconevents.com. Now back to And Security for All. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining my premiere episode and security for all. Again, I am Kim Hakem, your host. And today I am joined by Dr. Chase 
Cunningham and Morgan Wright. We've been talking about all kinds of different issues that we've been seeing on the news recently. And one of the um, next things that I would like to delve into is solar winds. I know many of you guys have probably heard about solar winds, but what is solar winds? You know, what what does that actually mean? It is effective massive hacks and attacks to our U.S. government agencies and some of our world's largest cybersecurity providers. So let's start with you, Morgan. Can you give our listeners a brief understanding of what Solar Winds is and how did it make its way into Russian hands, which in turn led into huge cyber attacks on U.S. ground? You bet. Well, I do want to state right up front that one of those large cybersecurity companies was not Sentinel One. In fact, uh, we we had to do no updates to our product. And in fact, the malware called Sunburst actually looked to detect if Sentinel-1 was in there. So, hey, I'm sorry, by law, I'm required to do just a gratuitous <laughs> uh, self-promotion for 30 <laughs> seconds. But, um, you, you know, really what this was is that SolarWinds, by the way, is not the name of the exploit. That's the name of the company that this was first came out through. And why? Because SolarWinds had a trusted relationship with many businesses, many government agencies to do things with their networks and their databases. You know, we won't get geeky here because this isn't a, a, a engineering course from MIT or MIT as the people in uh, uh, the Northeast say. But um, it's what it was, it was a violation of trust and it exploited trust in a way that we had never really seen before. And what I mean by that is uh, there used to be a time, in fact, I used to train some of the FBI agents that ended up taking down the world's most famous hacker, Kevin Mitnick. Kevin used to get exploits in by shrink wrapping diskettes the, for Novell or, you know, your favorite operating system. And what couldn't people wait to do? Get the diskettes, put them in, and voila, the back door is installed. Then they would say, oh, something's wrong. Well, we need to reinstall the operating system. And they would do that again. And guess what? They'd reinstall the back door that they just got through eliminating. So we figured out a way to, to attack the way people think about the problem. What SolarWinds uh, did, the management company, they provided updates. Russia, the SVR, so uh, a quick history. Russians have been doing this for 103 years since 1917, the Vicheka, first intelligence organization. They were able to figure out now the KGB broke into two uh, organizations, the FSB, which is mostly internal security, SVR, which is external, and then you've got GRU, which is military intelligence for Russia. But the SVR created a campaign where they did reconnaissance. They understood the target they were going after. They targeted SolarWinds, the company. They got into their update server, and they were able to insert malware inside there. They did a test run first to say, can anybody detect what we're putting in here? When nobody did, they then started uploading the actual package and they went operational. And in March of this year, as you got updates in from SolarWinds, you trusted those updates because they were cryptographically signed. They had this really long letter number combination called a hash value. Mathematical can't, you know, if you just change one bit or one byte, it changes everything. So they go, oh, it's trusted because the hash values are the same, not realizing that the malware was embedded inside there. And then what it did was it exploited human weakness, Kim. You know, it exploited proverbial uh, uh, conventional wisdom, proverbial thinking. And what it did was a lot of people would bring it into what they call a sandbox, which is the sandbox is um, you put something in there, you observe it for, you know, say 72 or, uh, you know, 72 hours, 96 hours, you know, three or four days. And if nothing bad happens, because you're expecting if it's going to go bad, it's going to happen during this time. And then you put it into your operational environment. All, the, all, all they did was say, okay, we understand why, you know, the way you think. So we wait 12 days. They waited 12 days and then the, uh, like a periscope on a submarine, it popped up, it looked around and said, okay, I'm in the operational environment. Oops, I'm looking for my operational parameters. Everything appears to be okay. 
and then it executed. And they got into places like the National Nuclear Security Agency, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Um, they got into DOD. They got into state. You know, they got into a lot of you know certain targeted companies. So this was this changes the boundaries of trust because nobody was doing. Uh, taking every update that came in and doing reverse engineering and looking at the code to go, is there anything bad in there? And it bypassed a lot of security mechanisms. So sorry to take a little bit, but if we're going to really talk about this, and Chase is going to add a lot better detail than I can, um, it's just really saying what what Russia did and what the SVR did was they understood how we thought about security, and they just simply bypassed that about how we thought, and they were able to create things and do things that we had never anticipated, nor had we thought about, and that's how this exploit was able to work so effectively. And they went for nine, 10 months. They achieved their objectives in this operation without a doubt. And then yet they attacked some of our biggest cybersecurity companies that are protecting us. So what well, would you say about that? I guess I mean, I'll the, hand that Mor- over to you, Chase. Yeah, I mean, Morgan hinted at this where, you know, he talked about the the, the inherent issue that we have with trust and connectivity. And and uh, what I would say, too, is like I, uh, there there was a case a few years ago with Maersk and Norsk Hydro, which were uh, companies that were brought down by ransomware globally. Um, I think it cost them a few billion dollars. And, and what happened there was not necessarily the same thing at totally as SolarWinds, but basically... Russian act- actors were able to get uh, implants into uh, software that was used for accounting. And that accounting software was pushed out to affiliates of Maersk and Norse Hydro. And then because of that, the ransomware went v- basically viral and just took down the entirety of those uh, chunks of infrastructure. But when you get to it, the delivery mechanism was different, right? So essentially, you know, the delivery side here being if they can get into the software supply chain and do the very, very targeted things that Morgan talked about, which is where we get the indications that this was a well-coordinated government-related activity. Once they get that in there and they get the delivery gone, the where they eat the lunch of everybody is in the exploitation of trust within infrastructure. And we don't mean trust like I like, you know, I, I trust my neighbor or I trust my kids or whatever. We're talking about inherent trust relationships within computer and IT systems. And when you do that, you're able to move. And when you can move, you get bigger, bolder, better, faster. And if you look at these infrastructures that they got into, it just becomes this spider web of communication and lateral movement. And the problem that we look at now is it's essentially like they were dropped into a forest and then they just were led let to just spread everywhere they want to go like a wildfire. And we're going to spend the next X number of years burning them down and getting them you know, out of there. And honestly, we have to take a position of everything is untrusted because of the fact that the we don't know that it isn't. And this is a, a problem that we have commonly in cybersecurity. And this is a problem you probably have in your home is connectivity is great. Connectivity helps. However, if things go wrong, connectivity becomes the gasoline that feeds the fire that spreads this type of infection. And it it's where we can, we have ways of limiting, you know, uh, Morgan talked about what he does at Sentinel-1 and those types of things. There are technologies that can help you limit that proliferation and spread, but it is a requirement that you deal with these fundamental core issues of excessive connectivity, excessive privilege, excessive access. Otherwise, when things go bad, it's not a simple infection. It's a cataclysmic pandemic. And, and, to, and to put it into very easy terms, it's like an M&M, hard and crunchy on the outside, soft and chewy on the inside. If you can get inside the network and you are trusted, then you are allowed to go everywhere. And that's what this exploited. Because guess what? 
like antivirus, the legacy antivirus can, you have to allow it to have access to everything for in, in order for it to operate and be effective. And then the network management software, the database software, you had to give them access to the, the keys to the kingdom, just like with antivirus software. And so this, this was, a, I mean, I, I don't know that I could ever trust an update again. We have to, because we have no choice, but at some point we're going to have to figure out a different mechanism of trust. Well, and, you know, if you like, let's talk about your home network that's, you know, you can think about this too. Like for yep. me, I run my own VLAN and my own firewall and everything else. And my kids are on one thing and I'm on another and whatever, but literally sitting here right now, looking at what the activity going on on my firewall today, actually uh, from Wednesday to today, my network has been scanned by external resources, trying to figure out a way in 248,000 times. So you know, if you think about that scale for everybody everywhere, and then think about that scale for everybody everywhere as part of the nature to go into corporate infrastructure, like the mind boggling nature of the connectivity as big as this gets with all of us average everyday people connecting into networks, it is staggering. Well, that's a pretty scary thought. You're a, you're a, security professionals. So you probably have, you know, top of the line firewalls in your home. So, you know, I'm sure that probably kind of makes our viewers a little worried, like what's happening to me at my home. So well, I've had 248,162 scans and I have had three attempted accesses occur in the last week on my network here at homes. And like you said, I'm I'm a computer geek that writes comic books about this stuff. So if you can think of the average person, my guess is you don't even know. Well, going back, Morgan, talking a little bit more about what I first asked you about, how has solar winds, mm -hmm. you know, affected all these attacks? What are some of the things that like our viewers, you know, they, they hear all these attacks that have happened, but what does that really mean to our government and what really happened with these kind of attacks? What, what did it affect? Yeah. Well, look, it affected uh, the ability for the government to protect and defend us, for one thing, in some of those areas. For example, what does the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission have? It has information on a lot of the vulnerabilities in our energy grid. Why would Russia care about that? Well, going thinking, it, it, to put it into military terms, you military listeners out there, it's called IPB, Intelligence Preparation of the Battlefield. Before I attack an adversary, I want to collect information. I want to intelligently prepare the battlefield in front of me by collecting information on domain and weather and capabilities. So now that they know where our our vulnerabilities are, there's an old saying, Kim, and this goes into warfare of any type. If you want to bring a nation to its knees, you go after two things, power and water. So how this affects everybody is the things they targeted just weren't government. They targeted the vulnerabilities in systems that provide the power and water to everyday people who depend upon the electricity in their home to run the routers so that they can connect online and work remotely. What would happen if I eliminated power from your county uh, you know, for an hour? for two hours, for 12 hours, not just only the economic impact, but then it's the increase in anxiety. And people say, what's going on here? If all the lights went out and they didn't come back on for 12 hours, the first thing people are going to start asking, is this terrorism? Remember on, on September 10th, and I, I was I drove by these guys, the hijackers on my way into DC that morning that came out to Dulles Airport. On September 10th, if a plane went down, our first question was not, was it terrorism? We started thinking, is there something wrong here? On 9-12, everything was, was it terrorism? Uh, the flight that crashed off uh, you know, out of New Jersey, was it terrorism? So it changes how we think about everything. And uh, you know, 
just trying not to get too much on a soapbox here, but people should be holding their elected officials accountable and they should be making sure that we are spending money in this new bill. If uh, President Biden gets this through this 1.9 trillion, there's 10 billion in there for IT uh, a modernization and cybersecurity. We have to modernize our infrastructure. We are driving in the digital uh, uh, cyber uh, space here. We're driving on the equivalent of crumbling roads and bridges, and you cannot protect and defend something that is so old that the modern technologies can't even work on it because it's so old, Kim. And that's that's where people ought to be saying, if you're going to spend my tax money, let's modernize. Because quite frankly, solar winds, I, I know some people inside the FBI, I know people inside DOD, they're just simply throwing some things away because it's easier to throw it away and rebuild it than it is to try and fix it. Chase, I'll let you elaborate on that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's where this concerns me, uh, just because of the infrastructure side of this equation. Uh, you all read about the stuff going on with Huawei and 5G in Britain, and we have Huawei gear here in the US as well. And that we've, this is the, the, the great experiment kind of that we've had with the ability to do connectivity and streaming and all this other stuff. It's great when it works. But the problem is, once something does go awry, it goes awry at the speed of what was going well. And it's it's like an inverse. So what we're what we're looking at is when, not if, but when things go strange, go weird, go wrong, the likelihood of something potentially cataclysmic happening becomes bigger, bigger, better, faster, just like it becomes bigger, better, faster with the regular internet. And for me, like Morgan was saying, uh, what, what concerns me most is water, power, food supply, uh, because that's the type of stuff that is something that you can interrupt and you can cause really widespread issues. And if you think about it, you know, I'll tell you what, if you want to talk about how this affects everyday Americans, Go turn off the internet at your house for three hours and watch the kids in your home <laughs> go bonkers. And then just imagine that for everybody everywhere at the same time. Like it is, uh, it's, it's, it's not a good place to be. I know. Oh my God, I can't check my Facebook or Instagram. I can't, oh my God, the world's coming to an end. Kid, in my day, you know, if you wanted to talk to somebody, you walked out your door and you went across the street. Oh, we had a power outage in my house like uh, about a month ago and we lost it for, I think, 14 hours. And I, the kids, you would have thought we were living in like 1886 and they were just like, what are we supposed to do? It's like, just go go outside, like do something. Well, that reminds me, it's kind of off topic of the, that movie, The Social. Did you guys watch? I can't think of what yeah. it's called. Well, I, re- I find it really hard to believe that the ex-CEO of I, of all those social media platforms that they are not allowing their kids, their teens on social media platforms. I just don't believe it. <laughs> you know, oh, no, no. you listen to guys like Bill Gates when he talked about it or other folks uh, that they restricted the amount of time. You know why? You can thank a gentleman named a uh, doctor. And I think it's called BJ Fogg uh, created what's called a uh, persuasive technology. He taught out at Stanford and three of his students went on to form one of the most addictive applications out there that you know of. And guess what it's called? What? Instagram. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Well, we've talked a lot about solar winds. And um, one last question about that. Do you think that we're going to continue to hear more about this? Or is it the next thing right around the corner? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would I would say we have not heard the end of the solar winds conversation. I mean, obviously, uh, Morgan's more the, the expert that gets deeply in, entrenched in the, the conversations at the very, very top. But I mean, what what we're looking at now is is essentially the the mother of all burn down lists, and it's going to take quite a long time for us to crawl through this and keep turning on 
on the lights within this infrastructure to see the cockroaches running away. And the more connectivity you have, the more it becomes something that is even harder to ferret out. You know, and real quickly too on that, Kim, um, I got I got kind of poo-pooed because I said, look, this is going to get worse before it gets better. I remember I was on, uh, I believe, with Trace Gallagher at Fox, Lou Dobbs at Fox Business. And we're talking, I said, look, it, it, you know why? Because the initial information is always incorrect. It will get worse before it gets better. So we'd learned about solar winds. Then guess what? Then we found, actually it started off with FireEye disclosing it. Then it was solar winds. Then we heard that somebody had was able to reach inside Microsoft and touch their source code. Then it became uh, Mindcast, uh, an email security company. Then recently it was Malwarebytes. And when the government put out a notice that said, hey, uh, 18,000 could have been targeted, but that number is significantly less. I had people saying, well, they say it's significantly less. And I said, define significantly less. Is that 10,000? 8,000, 5,000, <laughs> you know, what does significantly less mean? And so, and then guess what? Every day is a new disclosure that somebody else has been affected. Somebody else has been targeted. And what it's called, uh, Kim, is called, called damage assessment. They're still in the damage assessment phase. They still don't know the extent and breadth of this compromise and who it actually affected. They have a good handle maybe on a, a good portion of it right now. But we still don't, we're, I'm, quite frankly, for me, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop and drop and drop and drop because yep. every week, I think we will find out new things that did not comport with the initial damage assessment. Well, it's only a handful of agencies. And my response was, I've been inside the government, both classified and unclassified like Chase. My response to that, Chase, yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep, Exactly. Well, it's it was when it happened with FireEye, it's what was that around Christmas, December? Seems yep. like it kind of went quiet for a little bit and then it rose up again and Well, there was a little bit of other news going on, so to be fair. True, that's true. <laughs> so, who knows during this uh hour episode, who knows what could have happened out with the next Well, hack I mean, it, speed speed is uh is is really the issue that I think we deal with in the space that people forget is, you know, when you're looking at regular uh if you thought of just, you know, your streets and your regular piping infrastructure and those types of things of a physical space, I mean, it's it's kind of relatively bounded in physics your your brain can wrap around. Like I know a car typically can go so fast down a road and whatever else. And we're talking about electrons and the speed of light and the spread of connectivity across the internet and those types of things. It, I mean, it alone is mind-boggling to ponder, but it also is extremely difficult when you're talking about reducing the threat space because of what Morgan was saying, all the connectivity that we have into all of these things. I mean, you can't just go, there's a problem with the nuclear regulatory stuff, shut it off. That's just not how it works. Yeah. So this is going to take time to get to it. And I agree with Morgan a billion percent. Like I... When I heard women down solar winds, I got the cold chills running up my spine because I was like, oh my God, this is the beginning. And you know what we need? We need an intervention like Dr. Phil to come in and start talking. <laughs> Why is your refrigerator connected to the internet? Do you really need all of these, uh, you know, IT, IOT devices. Web-enabled toilets. That oh. is that is actually our That's show next week. <laughs> I knew thing. that. See <laughs> how well I set you up for this. I am a yeah. professional guest. This is what I do. Yeah, that we have the privacy professor, which he has a show on this uh, on Voice America, and that is what we're talking about is IOT. There's lots to talk about there. But you know, we have about eight minutes left before the show ends, and I want to kind of segue into a more since this this show is called and security for all. And we may have a lot of viewers that aren't as technical as you guys. Um, 
in 2020, as you all know, was the year no one will ever forget. One of the things we can definitely say, it, it forced most of the world to be much more innovative in order to keep economies somewhat working and running. With all the new innovations which created this new transition into the digital workforce, what would each of you, you know, give our viewers are our listeners a word of advice for best practices and tips to protect against threats and how to better understand these bad actors, behaviors, tactics, and how can you stay ahead to mitigate cyber risk and attacks? That's a loaded question. And each of you probably have about three minutes to answer that. Uh, well, I will, in the words of a Russian who said one time, said, comrade, trust no one, not your wife, not your mistress, not your next door neighbor. Trust, you can't, you really, what you have to do, and um, I'll wrap this up because I think, um, you know, we don't want to go too long. So um, we have about three minutes, I think. So really for me, it's you, you constantly be aware, constantly educate yourself. If you, you know, you would not just give your keys to a car to a 10 year old and say, Hey, go to the store and uh, get daddy and mommy a loaf of bread and a six pack of beer. You should not be putting kids onto the internet without some basic training on social engineering, what to watch out for, the kind of grooming that online pedophiles do. And that's from a family standpoint, you know, just making sure you don't click on things you shouldn't. And, you know, we, we have now moved to a remote work environment to where a lot of people were not used to working from home. I've been working out of my house since 2004 when I worked for Cisco. I had a better setup at my house than most people had in their office. I'm used to doing it. So we've got to generate a culture of people who become aware of what's around them what they're doing, what they're clicking on, and not letting the distractions of children and day-to-day -day family life uh, end up causing you to click on a link you would otherwise not click if you were in an office. That's how a lot of this ransomware gets started. It's it's simple. Just um, uh, one, you divert your eyes for a minute or you're going too fast and you click on a link. All it takes is that or, you know, forgetting to patch something if you're a system administrator. So, you know, we just can't give it justice in three minutes, but I would say just start by being aware and being a good consumer and just caveat emptor, buyer beware. If you're going to download it, make sure you understand it and make sure you know what it does. And if you're in a corporate environment, my God, the first, the best thing you do is just, if somebody sends out a patch, yeah, there's a reason why Microsoft sent out a patch on a, a, a operating system that was two years out of date. You know why? It's because the NSA, <laughs> Chase, had been exploiting it and it got uh, out into the wild and now North Korea started using it. So there's a reason they sent out updates to uh, systems that haven't been supported in uh, a couple years. So, Chase, we're going to probably have to table your um, answer to that because you will be co-hosting. Oh, sorry. Yeah. On well, I was wrong on my time. But really quick, um, thank you both for being on the show. But before we wrap the show up, can both of you guys let our viewers know where they can find you and where you are? And Yep. So, I'm, I'm easy to find. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn and everything else. My Twitter handle is at C-Y-N-J-A-C-H-A-S-E-C -E at Sinjachase. And on LinkedIn, I'm easy to find. I'm the only <laughs> Chase Cunningham with a cartoon avatar. And same thing, if you, can't, if you can't find me on the internet, you're not trying hard enough. Morgan Wright, uh, you know, you'll see me on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. And check out sentinel1.com and we'll help you out. Thank you guys for being on my very first show. We, um, we look forward to having you guys back again. Uh, thank you to all of our new listeners. We hope that you'll subscribe to this channel and follow us on uh, futureconevents.com or you can follow me at Kim Hakem. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. 
Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. 